God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We're again in the study, the Word of the Lord, a study of First and Second Thessalonians. And take your Bibles now and go to First Thessalonians chapter two, verse nineteen. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not you even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Here is the mark of a true minister. It is that those whom God has given him care over might abide in Christ's presence at his coming. This was the apostle's hope and would ultimately be his own joy and crown of rejoicing at Christ's coming. It is this full and complete salvation of God's people which will be the minister's crown. Hence a day of victory and celebration when the labor it took to both bring people to Christ as well as help them remain in him, is rewarded by God in heaven. It is this future hope of being rewarded for their spiritual labor, which prompts servants of the Lord to abandon personal freedom in order that others might be saved. Knowing that at Christ's return, if God's people are fully welcome into Christ's presence, then all the spiritual labor done in his name has been justified. The degree that the apostle was willing to sacrifice personal freedom in an attempt to gain the more unto Christ's name and save some is recorded in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, we read, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews." To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, and that I might by all means save some. And this I do. For the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. The effort to win others to Christ is likened to a great contest, whereby a man holds the hope of gaining for his efforts a crown of victory. Types of these games in Paul's time were common and can be likened to our Olympics, where individuals train for long hours and remain faithful to their training for years in order for the chance to gain both victory and notoriety for their effort. Yet, All this extended energy is purposed for a mere corruptible crown, a crown like in Paul's day, which would quickly fade away and be forgotten, a principle which holds true with all earthly efforts for temporal things. The apostle, therefore, sought a different crown, one which would not fade away, given by Jesus Christ at his coming. The scriptures also list a total of five crowns, whereby believers will be recognized by God for their faithful service to Him. They are, 
One, the crown of rejoicing, as in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Two, the corruptible crown, spoken of in 1 Corinthians 9.25, which we just read. The crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. The crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. And lastly, the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Consider then that if a man runs for an earthly crown, he runs for a perishing crown. But he who labors for the gospel and its extension labors for incorruptible crowns, which the Lord promises will remain. There are also few rewards in heaven comparable to that which Christ gives to those who have sacrificed their lives for the conversion of his people. Since it was a selfless undertaking, it will be rewarded with exceeding glory. Similar to the Lord himself, when he died for other sins, and then God granted him power and authority over all things. So shall those who also have forfeited much for other salvation be justly and fairly recompensed by God for their sacrifice. Hebrews 6.10 For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which he have showed towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's judicial fairness demands that all that has been done in service to him should be rewarded also by him. Hence, all that was done to advance the Holy Spirit's cause shall not be forgotten. There is nothing that Jesus cares more for than the saving of a man's soul. It was for this purpose that he died, and it is still the primary purpose of his heavenly ministry today. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore, he is able, Christ, also, to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, or now liveth, to make intercession for them. Barnes on this verse. Wherefore, he is able also, as he ever lives and ever intercedes, he has power to save. He does not begin the work of salvation and then relinquish it by reason of death. But he lives on as long as is necessary that anything should be done for the salvation of his people, end quote. None also should think that if they have laid down their lives for the brethren and have sacrificed for their cause, that Jesus will not remember what has been done in service to himself, Mark 9.41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Whatever is done for Christians in Christ's name, even if it's thought to be small and insignificant by human standards, will one day be rewarded. By this, ministers of Christ also prove themselves to be of the Lord, when his ministry becomes theirs and their primary purpose for living becomes assisting Christ in saving others. By then also the taking on the care of Christ's people, they reveal the deep and sincere love they have for the master himself. Now verse 20. For ye are our glory and joy. Barnes on this verse. The joy of a minister in the day of judgment will be measured by the amount of good which he has done and the number of souls which he has been means of converting and saving. 
It will not be the honor which he has received from people, the titles which they have conferred on him, the commendation which he has received for eloquence or talent, or the learning which he has acquired. But it will be found in the number of those who have been converted from the error of their ways and in the evidence of the good which he did on the earth. And will not the same thing be substantially true of all others who bear the Christian name? Will it then be a source of joy to them that they were richer than their neighbor or that they were advanced in higher honors or that they had a more splendid mansion or were able to fare more sumptuously The good that we do will be remembered certainly with pleasure in the day of judgment. Of how many other things which now interest us so much can the same things be said, end quote. The scriptures state that he that winneth souls is wise, Proverbs 11.30. Few things will reveal divine wisdom more than when men, instead of seeking this world's pleasure and glory, wisely choose to live their lives in pursuit of saving men's souls. There is nothing more precious on the earth than a human soul, and nothing more worthy to sacrifice for than the soul's salvation. All spiritual labor also, and the work done for the gospel, shall remain with the one who has done it. This will include even a man's good works following him into heaven at death. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Benson on this verse, the words properly signify their works follow them or follow them immediately. That is the fruit of their works. They reap this in some measure immediately on their admission into paradise. Observe, reader, their works do not go before to procure for them admittance into the mansions of joy and glory, but they follow or attend them when admitted, end quote. Though men can take none of their earthly possessions when they enter Christ's presence, they both can and will take all the good they have done in his name. Thus, where evil men and their works will be burned, good men and their divinely inspired works shall remain, and according to Scripture, accompany them when they depart from this earth to go home to the Lord. It is thus a unique characteristic of Christ's ministry that he promises his followers that their fruit will remain. John fifteen sixteen, You have not chosen me, these are Christ's words, But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Because Christ is himself eternal, the good fruit his people bear will be preserved eternally by him. Even today, the fruit of the apostles and recognition for them remains in this world. But even more important than this is when a man's labor and the good works he has done for the Lord Jesus follow him into heaven, proving the Lord's words that not only will his people share with him in eternal life, but also the fruit they have borne 
while serving him on the earth, be accredited to them for eternity. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 now. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Paul, because he was himself unable to return to Thessalonica, as he had hoped, does the next best thing. He sends a brother, a minister of God, and a fellow laborer of the gospel in his place. Timothy, therefore, was sent by the apostle to both comfort and help establish the Thessalonians in their faith. In him we observe those spiritual attributes which are necessary to assist others in Christian growth. Brother, Timothy was a brother, one who, like the Thessalonians, had been begotten by Christ through also his belief in the Savior, and then confirmed to be a son of God by the possession of the Holy Spirit. Timothy also shared the same love and affection for God's people as his Lord. This teaches us that none can either comfort or help true Christians except those who are Christians themselves. And Timothy was exactly this. As Paul refers to him in his letter to Timothy, as my own son in the faith. Religious bonds are the strongest bonds when it is faith in God's son and God's spirit that forms them. True Christians also will bear no greater allegiance nor loyalty to than towards those who are also themselves Christ's. Spirit is thicker than blood, and spiritual ties greater than earthly ties. When also men share the same heavenly Father and Lord and are bound together by the same Holy Spirit. Minister of God, Timothy was an individual purposed by Christ for Christian ministry. The title Minister of God is a weighty one, yet Timothy's exemplary Christian life deserved it. All true ministers also will have God's will as the reason for their appointment. Ultimately, none can hold any position in the body of Christ other than being ordained by God for it. Since God has set the members in Christ's body as it has pleased Him, all offices in the body are according to God's will. This is also true in the gift ministries that Christ gives to the church for her continued growth in coming to a knowledge of himself. It is the Lord who chooses men for ministry, and not they him. So that just as the body of Christ and all that should fill it are part of a greater heavenly plan, so also are those whom Christ's purpose should lead men into a greater understanding of himself, foreordained to do so. Jesus chose his twelve apostles, And so does he choose those purpose to testify for him today. This is also why every true minister of the gospel has Christ's personal ministry as the reason for his appointment. Simply because it is Christ who both places men in ministry and equips them with sufficient spiritual power and wisdom to be effective in ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 now. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ellicott on this verse. He gave. In the original, he is emphatic. He, Christ, and he alone, as the ascended head of humanity. The word gave, instead of the more obvious word set or appointed, is of course suggested. They who are ministers of his gifts are themselves gifts from him to the church, end quote. All true Christianity also has, as its single and most important source of unity, belief in the Son of God. There is nothing so lacking in today's church than a proper knowledge of of her Savior. Hence, what God's people need more than anything else in the establishment of their faith is a greater and more full knowledge of the one who has saved them. True spiritual unity and growth, therefore, cannot be fully accomplished unless God's people are brought into a greater knowledge of the Son of God. What men speak of, they love the most. By this we can see the distinction between true ministers of the gospel and those who only use God's name for the purpose of their own self-advancement, Acts 20.30. Also, these are Paul's words, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. It is the mark of spiritual impostors in Christ's church that their secret agenda, though they come in Christ's name, is to draw away disciples after themselves. Ellicott in this verse. To draw away disciples after them. Better, to draw away the disciples, those who had previously been disciples of Christ and his apostles. This was at once the motive and the result of the work of the false teachers. The note of heresy was that it was essentially self-asserting and schismatical, end quote. By this we can understand that if those who profess to be Christians speak of themselves, then the real reason for coming is to lure men to themselves. Ultimately then, if men desire their own names to be glorified, you can know that they have no real relation to Christ. For Christ's true ministers are purposed to witness for Christ and not themselves. Acts 1.8 But ye, these are Christ's words, But ye, in reference to the twelve apostles, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, Christ, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now to fellow labor, back to Thessalonians. Fellow labor, those whom Christ has called to serve him will, like in Nehemiah's day, be given by God a mind to work. Nehemiah 4.6 So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. No ministry ordained by Christ will disregard the great need it is to labor for the gospel. Like Paul, who when divine grace was showed him, responded by laboring more than they all, so shall those whom Christ has ordained labor extensively in order that others may be given an opportunity to believe the truth. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, Paul's words again, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. 
Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Labor is the result of sincere faith in Christ. Thus, if men do not labor and are not willing to expend sacrifice for the gospel, it is hard to conclude that they possess any real deep faith. Consider as well that if men will not labor for something, you can know that they do not really value it as important. Likewise, if men refuse to labor for the gospel, this reveals that they were made blind to the saving force of it. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The reason that men should be willing to labor for both the spread and extension of the gospel is because it is the instrument that God uses to save people. In the gospel resides the power of God, able also to save those who believe it. Verse 3 now of 1 Thessalonians 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. One of Paul's initial reasons for sending Timothy was so that the Thessalonians would not be moved from their faith because of the persecutions which were being directed towards them. Persecution has for its main objective prompting spiritual apostasy. It is for this reason Satan seeks to persecute the beloved, so that through intense spiritual pressure he hopes to turn them against God. This was done with Job, and it is also the purpose for affliction and persecution today. The devil knows that many will, when afflicted, be offended and depart from the faith. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 16, these are Christ's words in the context of the sower and the seed. And these are they which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and or but have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Gill on this verse, afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. As soon as any small degree of trouble comes upon them, and especially when there is a hot persecution of the professors of religion, because of the gospel they have embraced, such hearers are stumbled at these things and cannot bear the loss of anything or endure anything severe for the sake of the word they have professed a pleasure in. And therefore, rather than suffer, they relinquish at once their profession of it, end quote. Ask a man to endure long hours of business for his own personal gain, and he will gladly spend himself. But ask him to suffer for Christ and the extension of the gospel, and rarely will he respond favorably. Yet he who will not deny himself for Christ shall never be glorified with him. All Christianity demands that men, after being saved, must endure some form of tribulation. There is no road that leads to heaven which will not entail bearing reproach or suffering some form of persecution because of faith in the Son of God. And then in Acts 9.16, 
These are Christ's words to, uh, uh, in reference to Paul. For I will show him, Paul, how great things he must suffer for my namesake. The Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible, how great things he must suffer for my name. That is, much he has done against that name. But now, when I show him what great things he must suffer for that name, he shall count it his honor and privilege, end quote. The greater the responsibility that Jesus gives a man to testify for himself, the more vehement sinners will prove themselves against him. Yet, in the midst of religious persecution, it should not be forgotten that though Christ's enemies are numerous and the pain they seek to inflict is real, Christ and the strength he imparts to his people is greater. Joshua was a type of Christ, so that if we believe the word of God spoken to Joshua, that no man would be able to stand before him all the days of his life, then surely the Son of God's ministry is greater. Joshua 1.5 There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, the Lord says, nor forsake thee. It is because God is both with and in his people that no worldly force can overcome them. Hence, it is never human strength that propels and allows a man to continue in the midst of persecution, but only the power of God's spirit. God is the strength of his people's hearts. And time shall prove that his presence was more than sufficient in sustaining their ability to persevere. Psalm seventy-three twenty-six: My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Benson on this verse, My flesh and my heart faileth. I find by sad experience my own weakness, inability to encounter such temptations and bear with becoming patience and resignation such troubles. As I frequently meet with, yea, I find myself a frail, dying creature that shall shortly return to the dust. Both my flesh and heart, my body and soul, may and, unless supported by God, will soon fail. But God is the strength of my heart. I have found him so. I do find him so. And I hope I ever shall. As if he had said, Though I have no strength in myself, I have it in God, my never-failing refuge, to whom I will trust as long as I live. End quote. Men by natural experience will come to know their weak, feeble, fleshly limitations. But the question remains, have they come to know who is purposed to be the strength of all human life? A man also can possess a sincere love for God, yet not really perceive and hold to the great power God is in his life. This is why the Thessalonians were urged by the apostle to continue in their faith, regardless of the persecutions, simply because if they would not faint in their pursuit of Christ, Christ would not fail in strengthening them. By then their faithfulness to continue in persecution, the Lord would prove himself as the strength of their lives, He who will not faint in adversity will be lifted by God's power to overcome it. Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through him that loved us. Barnes on this verse, we are more than conquerors. We gain the victory. That is, they have not power to subdue us, to alienate our love and confidence, to produce apostasy. We are the victors, not they. Our faith is not destroyed. Our love is not dismissed. Our hope is not blasted. But it is not simple victory. It is not mere life and continuance of what we have had before. It is more than simple triumph. It augments our faith, increases our strength, expands our love to Christ. The word used here is a strong emphatic expression, such as the Apostle Paul often employs, and which is used with great force and appropriateness here, through him, not by their own strength or power, end quote. The strength that lies in the Christian is that of his Savior. Hence, the power that strengthened those saved by Christ is his own. So that when men have Christ in them, then they will feel his own spirit strengthening them and giving them sufficient spiritual power to overcome. Because Christ has overcome the world, his people shall be given power to do the same. And in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Ellicott on this, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The pronoun is strongly emphatic. I have myself overcome the world. He speaks of the assured victory as though it were already accomplished. Here is the reason why they should take courage. He is the captain of of their salvation and has already won the victory. The enemies they fear, the the world in which they have tribulation, are already captives following in the conqueror's train. They themselves have pledges of victory in and through his victory, end quote. Now, verse 4. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that they should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, as you know. It is Satan's aim to so apply pressure to the saints of God that they feel restricted and sense nowhere to turn for either help or escape. Uh, Practically speaking, when men are being spiritually attacked, they will feel hemmed in with nowhere to go. Yet whatever evil powers arise against Christians, the power of Christ is greater. It was also the purpose of the Son of God's ministry that he would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, given without measure to him, bring both healing and deliverance to those oppressed and held captive by the devil. Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Ultimately, it takes the Son of God and his extraordinary spiritual power to free those held captive by the devil. This world, though material in form, is still the battleground for spiritual conflict. Ephesians 6.12 For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As Ephesians reveals, it is the spiritual realm that is the real source of both conflict and oppression in the world. So that only when men turn to Christ 
and the power of Christ in them, can they overcome it? 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Verse 5 now, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Ellicott on this verse, the tempter. The word in the tense in the Greek imply not only that it is his character to tempt, but that it is his constant occupation, end quote. The apostle, in a few short verses, has used two titles to define his spiritual opponent. First it was Satan, and now it is the tempter. Both titles are connected to the subtlety of the devil. It was Satan who tempted our first parents to sin against God, and it is always Satan that through subtlety still attacks their descendants. Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan subtly is seen not so much by his outward persecution of faith, but by the craftiness in which he turns men against the faith. Thus, if there is not subtlety in directly tempting the Christian, there will be subtlety in how the devil moves others against him. The devil's primary power lies in the deceit of his tongue, and this is why it is so important when confronting evil that the word of God is brought to bear into the battle. God's truth is the only defense against Satan's lies, and make no mistake about it, the devil is the master of lying. John 8, 44. You are of, these are Christ's words, you are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abideth not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He who abides not in the truth has no truth in him. Such then is the tempter's character, that he is so defiled that no truth any longer exists in him. Hence the world of evil spirits is a sphere of liars and deceivers, fashioning themselves also after the great deceiver himself. Verse 6 now. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see you as we also to see you. The standard by which Paul knew that the Thessalonians were continuing in the faith and had not departed from God resided in those spiritual characteristics they continued to evidence in their lives. They are as follows. One, their faith. Two, their love. And three, their good remembrance of the apostles. By these credible evidences, Paul knew that what had been purposed by the devil to discourage and turn the Thessalonians from the faith had proved to be vastly unsuccessful. This is also why when faith and love are evident in God's people today, that we know that they remain in fellowship with God and in harmony with His Son. Fruits of the Spirit, 
which is what faith and love actually are, practically reveal if men are continuing to be led by the Spirit. By also remaining thankful for spiritual leadership, we similarly learn that God's people remain in subjection to God. For the first thing that apostates do when turning away from the Lord is to separate themselves from those ministers of the Lord He has set over them in their life. If there is good remembrance of those God has placed over us, then we can know that we remain subject to Him. Verse 7 now. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. When saints remain standing fast in the Lord, it produces great encouragement for those also in the Lord. Few things are more comforting to spiritual leadership than when they learn that those whom they have espoused to Christ remain loyal to him. Barnes on this verse. We were comforted over you. The sense here is that their steadfastness was a great source of comfort to him in his trials. It was an instance where the holy lives and the fidelity of a people did much, as will always be the case to lighten the burdens and cheer the heart of a minister of the gospel. In the inevitable trials of the ministerial office, there is no source of comfort more rich and pure than this, end quote. Verse 8 now. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. That which brought both vibrancy and meaning to the apostle's life and was an integral part in making his own life worth living was the strong spiritual stand of the Thessalonians. For ministers of the gospel, their own happiness is greatly dependent upon the faith of those they oversee. So closely tied is the minister's life to God's people, they can really only live when faith, love, and faithfulness is abounding in the church. Hence, just as in Christ's body, when one member suffers, the entire body suffers, so also is the opposite of this true, where faithfulness by one is a great cause of rejoicing in another. God's people are uniquely united through possession of the same Holy Spirit. Thus, the spiritual condition of one believer will directly affect either the joy or sorrow of other members in Christ's body. Hence, the apostle states, because the Thessalonians were alive in their faith, this brought joy lightness, and needed encouragement to his own faith. As long as the Thessalonians continued to thrive spiritually, this gave both joy and meaningfulness to Paul's own existence. Amen.